Good morning. That was a very kind introduction, and I'm so thankful he left out the bad parts. <laughs> so, <laughs> makes you feel good. I, um, <clears throat> I'm going to be sharing with you this morning from Jeremiah 26. I want to share some things preceding um, these things, just a few comments. But I'm going to be speaking on the motive, purpose, and the price of prophetic ministry. And you may just say ministry. I was really touched by Johnny's message and Pastor Kevin's message last week and, and over the last weeks and uh, greatly encouraged to see God speaking to his church. And the hope of our society is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's you. And um, I just want to share, Pastor Kevin gave some background on myself, there have been three great desires in my life. <clears throat> the Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart. And the first desire that I just want to share with you is the desire for a good marriage. And uh, my relationship with Cheryl is uh, a real blessing and kind of the stalwart of who I am and the life that uh, God has brought us to. And I need to tell you that that has not been without struggle. And so if some of you are struggling in your marriages, I want to encourage you. It's worth the investment. Go for it. The second great desire of my life has been real Christian fellowship. <clears throat> I've been a pastor for years, and many times the, the churches regardless of what I tried as a pastor, remained organizations and people just kind of went to church and never really became the church. <clears throat> what I have experienced at Calvary Chapel South is the church, where there are deep abiding relationships here that... Um, that are substantial. And if you're not experiencing that, I want to encourage you to get involved in a small group, talk around, get involved, contact people, start developing accountability relationships with other people. Um, our home group, those people, I tell you what, I come together weekly with them and they speak into my life and I just don't even know where it all comes from. Real Christian fellowship is here. And that desire of my heart has been fulfilled, and I desire to see that reality in your life. And the final and third great desire of my life has been to speak forth the Word of God. And God has privileged me with that ability, and uh, that's what I'm going to be sharing from this morning as as I proceeded in ministry and I read the scriptures, I began to find out that this is prophetic ministry, preaching the word. And I have discovered that it's not only important to rightly divide the word of truth, but to rightly apply the word of truth. And uh, I'm going to kind of show my age here. I can remember when I was a kid, our old family doctor would come to the house and he had a bag and and that, that dates me when a doctor came to your house. <clears throat> and he would examine you, and then he would get in the bag and have pretty much what you needed. 
Well, he didn't just reach in the bag and grab what, let's see what's here, you know, grab something and give it to you. But there's a prescribing aspect to it. And we not only need to understand the Word of God, but we need to be able to apply it appropriately in the lives of people in the time in which we live. We need not only to go to church, but to be the church. The church needs to hear the prophetic word of God. And you are blessed here to hear it week after week after week. But the world also needs to encounter the prophetic church. It's incredible that government is attentive to what we're praying, what we're saying, what we're doing. People say, I wish I could do more. You're doing it. And, and we need to function as God's people. And um, we need to recognize the centrality of prophecy in the ministry of the church and the church's ministry to the world. It's interesting as we look at scriptures, the Old Testament was identi is identified throughout scripture as the law and what? The prophets. Centrality of prophecy. We get into the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, writes, and it's not going to be on the screen here, he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you what? Prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but the, but." In his spirit, he speaks mysteries, but one who prophesies speaks to men for three things, edification, exhortation, and consolation. Do we need that in the church today? And so we need prophets who speak forth the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 33, Paul writes, let two or three prophets speak and let others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and may be exhorted and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Um, I meet with Pastor Kevin and Greg Parker and, and Gary uh, Vanderhoff and, and uh, Leonard Grayman every Wednesday. And, and it's, uh, it's, we meet on Zoom, and it is fascinating how they keep prophesying. And there are many times they touch a button, and I went to say something. Paul said, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Be quiet and listen. And, and how God is speaking in the church through many, many mouths. And I challenge you to be one of those mouths. Today, there is a great difference between thinking and knowing. <clears throat> we watch news broadcasts and they have their pundits who begin, I think, blah, 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 blah. But God needs people who know, who know. I, I jotted down there three kinds of people, those who know, those who think they know, and those who don't know. And, and I tend to fall into the category, the second one, a lot of times. I think I know. But here's the point. 
What we need to know to be prophetic is two things. We need to know the Word of God, and we need to know the God of the Word. And that needs to be the point of the investment of our lives. That needs to be the agenda of Calvary Chapel South and is the agenda of Calvary Chapel South. We need to know the Word of God, and we need to know the God of the Word. I want to share with you three things involving prophetic ministry this morning from Jeremiah chapter 26, the motive, the purpose, and the price. And first, the motive, he begins, uh, we pick up in Jeremiah 26, and this begins kind of at the, toward the beginning of his ministry, even though it's in the 26th chapter. <clears throat> we read in verse 1, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, and I just want to pause there. Josiah, we know, was a very godly king. <clears throat> he was one of the few who removed the high places in, in Judah. <clears throat> he is the one who took the stand of righteousness, restored the Passover, and, and, and brought the nation back to the opportunity to be in a right relationship with God. He has a son, Jehoiakim. And something did not get translated. There's a generational translation or a generation gap, and Jehoiakim never got what his father had. Never came to the godliness and to the relationship with God and the commitment to righteousness. And Jeremiah is called in such a time as this. Verse 2, thus says the Lord... To Jeremiah, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house all the words that I have commanded you to speak. Do not omit a word. Where is he speaking? In the Lord's house. The word of God needs to be heard in the fellowship of the saints or there is no hope for the state. And God directs him, and he tells him here that he has commanded him to speak. It's not Jeremiah going to God and saying, hey, things are really messed up here, and I think I know the solution, God. I'm going to go and tell him. It's not the case at all. It's God calling Jeremiah and saying, I have something to say to them. You are the messenger. I'm commanding you to do it, and you must not omit a word. Put him under responsibility, an assignment that he was obligated before God to carry out. It's not Jeremiah's idea. It's not self-promotion. Self it's not Jeremiah's fabrication of what he thought God would tell people. There are a lot of people doing that. It's God speaking through Jeremiah. He's probably a young man. Young men, I pray for you daily. What does God say? He's told that he's not to fear man. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 1, 4 to 8. Some of the first verses in the book of Jeremiah. 
Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah writes, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with, with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Notice what Jeremiah provided. He didn't know what to say. He didn't have the ability to speak. He was young and inexperienced. All he had was the will to subject to what God was calling him to do. That's all he needed. And that's what we need here today. It's simply the will to say, Lord, what is it that you would have me do? And, and we, we look down through this <clears throat> to Jeremiah. He provided weakness. He was not a superhero. Super I find in churches today, people say, I can't do anything. I'm not educated. I'm not very smart. Whatever, you know, whatever your excuse is, throw it away. The call of God to speak forth his word. Jeremiah 1, 9, 9 through 10, Then the Lord stretched out his hand, and he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day, oh, look at this, over the nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. It's not our ability. We don't have that ability. God's ability. God's ability. And it's God's glory. His unction and his spirit, it is his grace. We many times, as we talk about grace in the Christian community, we think of food, clothing, house payment, you know, those kind of things. Grace goes far beyond that. Grace is your ability to minister. Grace is your ability to touch people for good. Grace is your ability to influence this world, this society, the nations of the world. That's God's grace. God's word is the authority through the prophet. God didn't give Jeremiah authority. God says, you submit and obey and I will exercise my authority. Prophetic ministry is not some ego trip where you say, look at me, I'm on the platform, you're not. It's not what it's about. It's about the simple humility to obey God. No more complex. Verse 3. Perhaps they will listen. And everyone will turn from his evil way that I may repent of the calamity which I am planning to do to them because of the evil of their deeds. It's not about our motives. Our motives need to be God's motives. It's not about our glory. It has to be about the glory of God, not of ourselves. One of the things that stands out here to me is 
God is saying at the very beginning, you are not able to do what I'm calling you to do. (laughs) You are not able to do what I'm calling you to do. If you think you can, I'll find someone else. It is his calling to do according to his ability. And one of the little worship songs this morning, we sang, when you come to the end of yourself, that's where God wants you to be. If you're stressed, maxed, over the top, beyond your ability, praise God. He's brought you to where he can work. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. I jotted down that... Again, three kinds of people. There are people who are not willing to do the possible. They're expecting someone else to function responsibility to carry them. Psychologists call that codependency. They want you to take care of them. A second kind of people are people who are not willing to step into the impossible. There are a lot of them. And then there are those people who are willing to trust God for the impossible and to step into his calling and his promise and his grace. God's calling you to that. Jeremiah goes on and and God tells him that the reality of Jeremiah's situation is certain destruction. I'll read it and then get back to that. God says, and you will say to them, thus says the Lord. Here's God's word. If you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I've been sending to you again and again, but you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this a curse, make you a curse of all of the nations. Here's what God is telling him, the future for Israel, not just in the, te- in the temple, but the future for Israel is certain destruction. There was a song in the 70s, we're on the eve of destruction. The message is still true. Our society is destined for judgment. Destruction is on the horizon We cannot just justify what's going on and say, well, that's the political arena. Let me tell you, abortion is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. Marriage is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a biblical issue. And our society is destined for destruction. The question is, what will happen? I'll get to that later. He mentions Shiloh. And Shiloh is where they brought the tabernacle and they pitched the tabernacle there and put the Ark of the Covenant, the thing. As time went on, they built high places and other altars to false gods at Shiloh. The prophets warned them not to do that. They ignored it and God brought judgment. The scripture says... In Jeremiah 7, he says, Go now to my place, which was in Shiloh. I made my name dwell at first, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did. 
because of wickedness of my people Israel, and now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord. And I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to the place which I gave you and your fathers, as I did in Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out your brothers and all the offspring of Ephraim. All across Europe in this nation, there are large buildings, especially in New England, that used to be churches. Fancy cathedrals and structures with a handful of people at the best meeting in the little chapel. And God has removed his spirit from from churches around this world who refuse to repent. Who refuse to honor him. God's call is to repentance. To the church first and then to the world. And the only hope, the only hope of this nation is repentance. The only hope of this nation is a prophetic church that will speak the truth to our society. In verses 7 through 8, Jeremiah writes, the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak, To all the people, the priests and the prophets, and all the people seized him, saying, you must die. I certainly hope I get a better response this morning. (laughs) I have ice cream in the freezer. (laughs) And uh, their response is not repentance. Their assumption is that if we can destroy the prophet, we excuse ourselves from accountability to God. And, and they cried out, he must die. The response is up to the hearer, not to the messenger. I find many Christians who are greatly discouraged because they've trusted God and they've taken their stand and they've spoken the word and the results didn't come. You're not responsible for the results. One of the things that I learned early in my training, one of my professors said to me, Lowell, you're not responsible for people. You are responsible to people. And we need to understand that. We cannot change anyone. We can only be faithful to God's calling. And then the last verse here, verse 9, Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate without inhabitant. And all the people gathered about Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. He's in bad straits. Standing in the midst of a bunch of angry people who are saying, you must die. You want to be a prophet? They say, why? Why are you saying this? And we have to look not only at the motive of Jeremiah, which is simple obedience to God, but to look at the purpose of of Jeremiah, God's purpose in his life. And we need to understand this. This is profoundly important because many times I lapse over to the wrong purpose. I look at this society and I think, God, bring judgment. And God is saying, I want redemption. I want repentance. (laughs) 
And I act like I'm the righteous one putting myself in the seat of Moses wanting to see, bazoom, you know, big zap like the sons of Zebedee. Lord, should we call down lightning on these people? And, and the purpose of God's calling upon our lives. Jeremiah 26, 10 to 15, verse 10. When the officials of Judah heard these things, just want to pause there. The officials of Judah, what are they? Who are they? They're politicians. You laugh. We hate politicians. They need to hear the word of God. And the church needs to hold it forth. People say, oh, all politicians are rotten. That's not true. When all the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat in the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. Now, I did a little bit of research and I have found that expression, the new gate of the Lord's house, only two places in scripture. Here in Jeremiah 26.10 and also in Jeremiah 36.10. And we have to ask the question, where did it come from? What is the new gate about? Who, who produced it? <clears throat> There's no evidence of it in Josiah's time. Could it be, this is purely speculation, I will admit this, I'm not saying this is what the Bible says, could it be that Jehoiakim is responsible for fabricating a new gate in the Lord's house. You think about it. A new gate. A new way to enter into the presence of God. Pastor Kevin has been talking about the, the progressive Christianity. That's a new gate. We're, we're, we've advanced too far beyond the old gospel, we have to have a new mentality and a new understanding of our God is loving and he loves all people and everybody and anybody can enter in. There's a new gate, a new way in. Morals don't matter, values don't matter, conduct doesn't matter. Everybody is in. A new gate. In Jeremiah 36.10, the other place where the new gate is mentioned, we read then Baruch read from the book, <clears throat> the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. I need to back up. Then Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate at the Lord's house to all the people. <clears throat> now what's going on here? <clears throat> Jeremiah has been excluded from being allowed in the temple of God because he didn't say what they wanted to hear. He did not buy into the progressive secularism, which is really just old liberalism, where we change the scriptures, we change the message. Jeremiah is not allowed in, so he writes down the word of God and sends it through his scribe, Baruch, and he reads it at the new gate. <clears throat> the sequence following this 
is that he's called before Jehoiakim who sits by the brazier and as they read the word he tears it up and throws it into the fire. And Jeremiah rewrote it. The hatred for the word of God. The new gate. You know, what's going on today is the enemy puts pretty names on ugly things. Progressive Christianity sounds so good. Liberalism, open-mindedness sounds so good and inclusive. It ignores the truth of the gospel. One of the things that I have observed in history is that liberalism and progressive Christendom was born in the seminaries of the church. When the, when the seminaries begin, began to textually criticize the scriptures and begin to say, well, Isaiah wasn't written at this time, it was written a lot later. In fact, Isaiah didn't even write it. And, and these New Testament books, Paul probably didn't write them. They weren't written at that time and they started to tear pages from the scripture and they began to say, well, the word of God is in the Bible, but the Bible is not the word of God. And the church hit the slides. And whole denominations have died because of the departure from faithfulness to the word of God. The refusal to speak forth the word of God, the refusal of the church to be prophetic. Sanctioning righteousness, rejecting godliness. In verse 11, Jeremiah writes, Then the priest and the prophet spoke to the officials and to all the people, saying, A death sentence for this man, for he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard in your hearing. A death sentence. Today, Jeremiah would be accused of hate speech. If a Christian tells the truth, we're accused. That's hate speech. We cannot tolerate hate speech. When you say anything of consequences to sin and God's judgment, that's hate speech. There are whole passages of scripture that cannot be read in Canada because they are dubbed hate speech. We're to affirm people and to make them feel good. Don't tell them the truth, it hurts. Progressive Christendom is reconciling God to this world. God, you've got to be a little bit easier on people here. Nobody's perfect. Remember, you're a God of love. You cannot bring judgment. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is reconciling the world to God. And this world needs to be reconciled to God. And the first step is deep, heartfelt, painful as on the day of Pentecost conviction of sin and a cry to repent and a plead to salvation God what must I do to be saved what will it take whatever it is I will do it the church has to be prophetic verse 14 and 15 but as for me behold I am in your hands Jeremiah says to them 
do with me is as good in your sight and right in your sight. Only know this for certain. He speaks prophetically to them. Know this for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. <clears throat> Jeremiah says, you want to kill me? Thank you. Go for it. Even prophets get tired. Yeah, I'm getting dry. Thank you, Garrett. Want to kill me? Okay. You want to be a prophet? It's putting your life on the line. Willing to pay any price. And subjecting yourself, trusting God completely. The choice is for the hearer to make. They can make things better for themselves or they can make things worse, but they have to hear the call. Their choice. Final section. Prophecy, the price. <clears throat> the price of prophecy. Many people wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus would turn to them. You need to understand. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, if you set your hand to the plow... There's no turning back. You want to go bury your father first? Just go stay with your father. You want to be a prophet? You want to follow Jesus? Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and to the prophets, no death sentence for this man, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then some of the elders of the land rose up and spoke, and spoke to all the assembly of the people. The price of prophetic ministry. I think this one reason is why we see so little of the prophetic church in the United States of America. Because there's a price. And we don't know what the consequences will be. It's interesting, I jotted down, <clears throat> the prophet is not for profit. P-R-O-P-H-E-T is not for P-R-O-F-I-T. <laughs> the prophet for profit is a false prophet. It's not about money. If you're going to follow Jesus and if you're going to speak forth his word, it's going to cost you. That cost is uncomparable to the blessings and the benefits of God. But you need be, to be willing to pay a price. In verse 16 and 17, the officials and all the people, the priests and the prophets, I already read it, no death sentence for this man. They're the officials from Josiah's court. This is Jehoiakim. They are probably people who remember his godly father and who recognize that his words are true. And they take a stand on Jeremiah's behalf and say, you're not going to kill this man. There are those who stand with you and for you as you stand for Christ sometimes. There are three great temptations to compromise. I was talking with Kevin about this yesterday. They make terrible motives. 
the temptations to compromise their money, organizational prominence, and academic recognition. One of the men who mentored me, his name was Alger Fitch, and I was about ready to graduate from Bible college where he was teaching, and he said, and he had a PhD. He had earned his PhD three times. Another story, I'll tell you about that another time. And he said, Lowell, when you get a degree, the best thing you can do about it is forget it. It's not about academics. It's about training you and discipline for Jesus Christ. It's not a paper on the wall. It's a heart transition that has come to subject yourself to the discipline of being a student of the Word of God. There are three examples that Jeremiah gives of those who paid his price. He doesn't give the one. The first one is Jeremiah himself. What is the price that is to be paid? He came to the point in his ministry that he was grieved of his own birth. He said, oh, that I had not been born. Why have I been brought forth to this? His life was so vexed by what was going on around him and the tragedy that he saw playing out, that he cried out to the Lord, why did you even bring me forth? Why did you call me to this? Why have I followed you? We just saw he he penned a scroll because he could not verbally preach and his scroll was torn and thrown into the brazier for him to rewrite it. (laughs) You don't think that's hard. He didn't have a laptop and word. He had to go back and do it again. Why did he do that for you? He was beaten and cast into a dungeon of Jonathan And he was taken out and brought before Jehoiakim and questioned. And he told Jehoiakim what God had to say. And he knew that Jehoiakim would not like it. And he he pled with Jehoiakim, please don't cast me back into that dungeon. So miserable was his situation and the price that he paid. Please don't put me there again. So they took him and cast him down a cistern into the muck. There's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. He wept not for his own sufferings, but he was broken for the hardship that was coming upon the people that he loved so much and he pled with to repent. There's a price to pay. Jeremiah goes on and records in verse 18, through 19 he says Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and he spoke to all the people of Judah saying thus the Lord of hosts has said Zion will be plowed as a field and Jerusalem will become ruins and the mountains of the house as the high places of the forest did Hezekiah king of Judah and and all Judah put him to death Did he not fear the Lord? Didn't Hezekiah fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune that he'd pronounced against them. But we're committing a great evil against ourselves. This man, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the scripture, Micah of Moresheth. 
spoke in the time of Hezekiah, a good and a godly king. And God was, was bringing judgment, and he spoke, and his life was threatened. And were the, there were those of, of Hezekiah's court who said, we have to hear him out. And we need to do what he says. And they repented and they averted God's judgment upon the nation at that time. Will God avert his judgment on the United States of America? God, I pray so. God, I pray that there will be repentance. I pray that people will be convicted of the Spirit and acknowledge their sin and call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And our nation may stand. I fear for this land. Then there was Uriah, verse 20 and 23. Indeed, there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. And he prophesied against this house and against the land similar words similar to all those of Jeremiah when King Jehoiakim, look, it's Jehoiakim, the guy that Jeremiah is standing before, when King Jehoiakim and all his mighty men and all the officials heard his words, then the king sought to put him to death. But Uriah heard it. And he was afraid and he fled and went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim sent men to Egypt. Elnathan, the son of Achbor, certain men with him into Egypt, and they brought Uriah from Egypt and led him to, the king, led him to King Jehoiakim, who slew him with a sword and cast his dead body into the burial place of common people, treated him like trash. Who killed him? Jehoiakim. With his own hand with his own sword, no sparing, no sparing Uriah paid the ultimate price for complete obedience to God. There are many martyrs today, probably more martyrs right now than in all of history. People standing true, speaking forth the word of God. who pay the price with their life. Will we stand? Fortunately, verse 24, by the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, it was with Jeremiah so that he was not given into the hand of the people to put him to death. He was spared. Fortunately, we don't know. When people say to me, I'm a prophet of God, <clears throat> my question immediately is always the same. Show me your scars. Show me what it's cost you. There are multitudes of people who are in Christendom just for what they get. Let me tell you, once you accept Jesus Christ, you've gotten the whole package. You're saved and you're going to heaven. The rest of your life is for others. The rest of your life is is for others, for the salvation of others. 
And that was the purpose for Jeremiah's life and ministry, that others may repent and come to salvation. That's why you're alive. There's a final consideration that I did not include, and that is the results of Jeremiah's ministry. Big question mark. One of the finest prophets. You know, there's the prophet Jonah who didn't want to preach. And a whole nation fell down and believed in faith and was saved. And then there's Jeremiah who wanted to proclaim the word of God. And it's hardly recognizable that anybody ever listened to him. But we are. But we are. We see the example of a humble individual who's who heard God's call and accepted it and spoke for a simple obedience to God. People need to decide for themselves. We're responsible to people. We're not responsible for people. You can go back to Ezekiel 33 and some passages and see the description of that. But today, I just want to end with one, one verse. And when preacher says end, don't get ready to leave. <laughs> One verse, Habakkuk, chapter 1, 1 to 5. A prophet of God describes his experience, the oracle which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. (laughs) He's looking around and he's preaching. And here's his prayer. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence and, and you don't save. Are you paying attention, God? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists. Contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. And justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteousness. The righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Does that sound like today? Verse 5, God answers his prayer. Look among the nations. Observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if I told you. God is working today. And we must not be thrown off by the delusion that just because everything is terrible and it looks like everything is falling apart, there's no hope. There is hope and obedience to God, and God is working. We don't have to see. We don't have to comprehend. We simply need to obey. And so how about you? How about you this morning and your life? As we look at Jeremiah and the the motive of Jeremiah, the purpose of Jeremiah, and his willingness to pay the price. What about you? Are you part of the problem? Or are you part of the solution? Are you willing to look at the impossible and say, well, it's too hard for me, I don't think so? Or are you willing to say, God, I'm here, and you tell me what to do, and I'll step forward?
Jeremiah's motive and purpose and the price he paid was to see repentance and salvation in the lives of people. Oh, that we may see that. Repentance. People saved. Oh, that God would stay his hand upon our nation, upon our society. Oh, that God would, would delay and hearts would cry out to him and there would be an ingathering. One of the favorite things in the book of Revelation, if you know me, I always wind up in Revelation somewhere. There's this great multitude and, and one of the elders says to John, who are these? And, and John says, I don't know. You tell me. The elder says, these are who, they who come out of the great tribulation. Those who repent, those who call upon the Lord. I believe the greatest in gathering of history is before us, but there's a price to pay. There are steps to take. There's obedience that has to be manifest. And I challenge you to that. And if you this morning have not accepted Jesus Christ, the first step, the first thing, is your repentance before him and your acknowledgement of your sin and that you need a savior. And that you cry out to him and you say, Lord Jesus, I ask that your blood shed on Calvary would be covered and cleanse my soul and my life from my sin that I may be saved. And then once you're saved, Lord, may I be a part of the salvation of others. May I please be a prophet? Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 14. Desire to be a prophet. Ask God for that calling, that touch, that unction, that, that empowering, and step into that obedience. So, Father, we just bow before you. We hear your voice. It's not hard to recognize it is from page, from cover to cover in your word. I pray for these people, Lord, these people who are viewing online and these people here in this room. Lord, please speak. Lord, please call. Raise up men and women who will carry the prophetic message of the gospel and salvation, the, the sureness of judgment, the need to repent, and the way of salvation through the cross before this world. Lord, we pray that your church would be prophetic. We thank you for this ministry right here that we're a part of, this prophetic ministry. Week after week, you speak. We hear. We carry forth. Lord, Lord, we want to see you glorified. We want to see your hand move. We want to see lives saved. We want to see a whole nation brought before the cross.